Palm Sunday. So glad to be here and so glad to remember what Jesus did on this day. This was the day, of course, where he entered into Jerusalem riding on a, on a donkey. And uh, the people greeted him, didn't they? They shouting, Hosanna. And uh, it wasn't just but a few days later where things began to turn a little bit. And he ended up, of course, being sacrificed on the cross for our sins in such a way that when we believe and trust in him, we can have eternal life. And so it's the beginning of a wonderful week. And really, it's wonderful all the way through, right? It's wonderful all the through, way through. Even, even the crucifixion is a, a, a thing that we can take joy in, knowing that he died for our sins. And then, of course, we realize that the grave could not contain him, but three days later, he rose from the dead. So glad to be here today. I hope you're glad to be here. In your bulletin somewhere, you've got this little handout. I want to bring your attention to that. On one side, it looks like a book. That's where you take notes at. It's a little busy this week. But on the back side, I want to remind you that we have uh, the birthdays and anniversaries for this coming month. You might say, well, what, what can I do with that? Well, you could send a card or you could simply make a phone call to that person or those persons. Or you can make a commitment to pray for them. Each one of those would be a good thing to do, right? Or maybe you feel like doing all, all three of those. But let's be praying for our people. And I, I want to congratulate Betty and Fred for 65 years of marriage. Yeah. <laughs> that is a tremendous, uh, tremendous feat and also an excellent example for us uh, to continue in that same way. So thank you so much. I saw some of the pictures, yeah. It looked wonder looked wonderful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got a Yeah, you got a wonderful family and a, and a blessing. So as as this is Palm Sunday, you might expect well maybe we'll go somewhere other than Hebrews, but we're going to stay in Hebrews because our title today and our message it's about Jesus being greater than Moses. But really in the scripture, it identifies what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to consider Jesus. That's really what this section of scripture, uh, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, is all about. It's about considering Jesus. And as soon as uh, we get into it a little bit further, you'll understand what I mean by, by that. We've been going through the book of Hebrews now for five or six weeks, I think. The theme of this is Jesus is better, and you might ask, well, Jesus is better than what? Jesus is better than everything, right? If everything else is taken away, but we still have Jesus, we still are a very rich people. And if you don't feel that way, then I would ask that you can do exactly what this scripture says for us to do today. Consider Jesus. Consider all that he has done for us. But Jesus is better, sometimes the scripture says that he is greater, sometimes superior, but he's better than all the prophets. We learned that a couple weeks ago. He's better than all the prophets. He's better than all the mighty angels. And so the writer of the book of, of Hebrews says, don't go back. Because these people are tempted to go back to the world. They're tempted to go back to their old way of worshiping at the temple. Because somehow they believe that Jesus is not sufficient. They have to go back. That's what they think of in their own life. But they're also under the fear or, I guess, uh, 
they're under the danger of neglecting their salvation and drifting away from it. And to be honest, we have if we're honest with ourselves, we suffer from that too. It's easy for us to neglect our salvation to get caught up in the things of the world, especially in a world as crazy as ours, right? Get our eyes off of get our eyes off of what is eternal and put our eyes back on what is temporal and here and now. But the scripture tells us a very different story. And so Jesus, obviously, he is the founder of our salvation. He secures the supremacy for man. He has secured the victory by his death on the cross over our sin for man. And we should not neglect our salvation, but we should consider Jesus. So let's go ahead and read our scripture today. I'm going to ask you if you'd please stand for the reading of scripture. As we go through this, just six verses, but man, what a six verses they are. <laughs> so much in, in, in Hebrews is like this all the way through, but so much in, the, in this scripture. But this is how it starts out. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to read scripture like this. We take it for granted sometimes that the word is so available to us that sometimes, if we're honest, it probably just lays on our table from Sunday to Sunday. But you have asked us, specifically in our scripture today to consider Jesus. And I don't think that means a one-time consideration, but I think it means in our lives we must always consider Jesus, his superiority to everything, his greatness. And when we understand his greatness, his love for us, then we ourselves will be motivated to be in the scripture and to do the things that it teaches us. So we ask for your help today. We ask for your help, first of all, to hear what this message has to say for us. But then we also ask for help to implementing it in the world in which we live. How are we to consider Jesus? What difference is it supposed to make in our lives? How can we become more like Jesus and show God's love to the rest of the world? Those are questions that we want to know and we pray that you would help us. And so we ask these saying things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it's obviously, you know, maybe even the title in your book says Jesus is greater than Moses. And that is a, a big part of this sermon is that Jesus is greater than Moses. And we'll examine exactly what, that's, what that means to us. But really... The lesson here, if you've got your hand out, Jesus is greater than Moses, therefore consider Jesus. And I think he says this because he's wanting to go back to verse 18 of chapter 2. So if you, if you still have your Bible open, let me read that. 
again to refresh our memories about it. And this is speaking about Jesus. It says, For because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I think he's saying to the, to the people, uh, the Hebrews that he's speaking to, is that you are going to be going through temptation in the form of persecution and being put down for your faith. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus and think about him and find your source of strength in who Jesus is. I think that's the message that we have here for today. Has any of you been suffer, have suffered or been tempted in any way? I think we could all shake our head yes. We've been tempted in some way. Maybe it's even been this week you have been tempted to think, man, I just can't put up with what's going on in our world. I feel like giving in. I feel like giving up. Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews would say, no, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus who went through the suffering that he went through. And that will give you a different perspective on it. So I think this is appropriate for Palm Sunday that we be thinking about Jesus, thinking about his life, examining how he lived, who he is and what he has done to meditate on Jesus and his life. And to do this in the light of our hero or their hero, Moses. Because to the Hebrews, Moses was a hero. Absolutely, positively, right? If you look back through Jewish history, there were several heroes. David would be included in that. Solomon would probably be included in that. Elijah, a great prophet, would be included in that. But most of the time when they thought of heroes of the Old Testament, I'm sure that Moses probably came to their mind most frequently and most often. He, he, he was such a hero to them that the word and the name Moses became symbolic for the whole old covenant that they were engaged in with God, amen? They, they were engaged in this old covenant, which they wouldn't have called it the old covenant because they would have just called it the covenant of Moses. But Moses had come to represent their whole way of life, all of the traditions, everything about their life. So in, this, in essence, when this writer comes along and says, Jesus is greater than Moses, it's like saying some new upstart basketball player is greater than Michael Jordan. I mean, that's what it would have been like. And they would have said, you're crazy. You're crazy. This upstart Jesus is not better than Moses, but he gives clear proof that Jesus is greater than Moses. And so we have to consider that when Jesus is greater than Moses, uh, that statement, statement is all, almost an insult to them because they're not only saying Jesus is greater than a person, Moses, but they're saying Jesus is greater than the Old Testament law. He came to fulfill the law, amen? And he did fulfill the law for us. You might say, well, how did Jesus fulfill all these laws? Well, he, he fulfilled it by living a life of perfect obedience to the Father, right? He never sinned, not once. We talked about, you know, his trial this morning and uh, as he went before Pilate and the various religious, Herod and various religious people, they couldn't pin anything really on him, right? Even... Even what he was crucified for, which was probably blasphemy, you know, claiming to be God, was true, right? <laughs> it was true. 
So uh, they thought they had him pinned on something, but they, they didn't. And so I'm trying to help you have this mindset that some of these people who were Hebrews, Jewish in background, probably took this as an insult and a great challenge to say that Jesus is greater than Moses. Because they're not just referring to the man, but they're referring to their whole system that the Pharisees had built up. That was, that was the law of Moses. And so, in considering Jesus, and, and is he better than Moses or this system that has been set up, the, the answer is absolutely yes. And we can go to the scripture and look at this, just one right after another after another, is that in Jesus we have an apostle from God. Look at verse number one, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the holy calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Anyone know what the word apostle actually means? It, it means one who is sent, right? One who is sent, and in this particular situation is one who is sent from God. Sent by God and from God. And Jesus is sent in a particular way that none of us could be sent in that same way. And I know this may seem a little bit confusing, but let's, let's consider the Trinity a little bit. The Trinity is made up the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? The Son is the only begotten Son of the Father. What does it mean that he is begotten? Does that mean that Jesus had a beginning? No, Jesus never had a beginning. He's also eternal, just like the Father is eternal. So what does it mean that he is eternally begotten? It means that he is eternally coming forth from the Father into the world. Okay? That's what it means. And so he is sent in a special way. He is sent not only by God, but he is sent from God. In essence, it is uh, the Trinity coming from God the Father through his Son into the world. He sent him to this world and he sent him to be on mission. And his mission was what? To get us. <laughs> he came to get us. He came to get the people that the Father had given him, his bride, the church. And so Jesus came and lived a perfect life on this earth, and never sinned once. And so he went to the cross to die for our sins. And when he had paid the debt for those, he said, it is finished, right? It's finished. And he rose three days later, and by doing that, he purchased for himself the people of God, those who would believe and trust in him. He also continued in being sent by God to train disciples to carry on his work when he had gone back to the Father to prepare a place for us. He trained disciples to carry on his work. You know, it's kind of, I don't know if this is humorous, but it's, it's, uh, it's not humorous, but it's almost tragic. How many believers, how many followers did Jesus have when he was on the cross? Zero. He had zero. He started out with big crowds, right? And sometimes this is uh, maybe a little bit encouraging to us because we would love to see all these seats filled, right? And overflow. But Jesus himself continually lost believers. <laughs> he, 
he had a great crowd of following him whenever he fed them the fishes and the loaves, right? Thousands. Then they, they came back the next day. Remember, he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they're following over him. And he makes this statement. He said, you have only come just for the food when you have bread from heaven right here in me. And so he said some strange statements. He said, unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you cannot be a part of me. And he started losing believers then. Because, or yeah, he started losing disciples then because uh, he was speaking so strangely, but he was speaking strangely because he wanted them to know there's not salvation in this bread and fish, but there's salvation in me. You know, if you're going to follow me, then follow me. Don't follow me just for the miracles that I'm performing. And so Jesus was sent. He ended up with no followers at all. But then he rose from the dead and the Spirit came, right? The Spirit came, gave us power to live the Christian life. And so he obviously has ended up with millions and millions of followers. But he was an apostle. He is an apostle. In Jesus, we also have a high, a high priest of our faith. Now, Moses sometimes uh, played the role of a priest. Mostly, he was a prophet. But Jesus is the high priest. He is the sacrifice for our atonement. And he's going to make, the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to go into this in much more detail when he talks about the temple and the sacrifices but the high priest had to go in once a year to take a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he did that because he also had sinned and had to have a sacrifice of his own, but he had to take a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it had to be repeated year after year. But Jesus is a high priest who presents himself as a sacrifice. And so he is a mediator as the high priest. He's one who intercedes between two parties. First Timothy puts it this way. He says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the perfect mediator because he is 100% God, but he's 100% man, right? <laughs> he's 100% God, but he's 100% man. And so he is the perfect mediator. He's a perfect mediator because he's experienced everything that we have and yet without sin. And so he can offer himself as a sacrifice. But as God, he is a perfect mediator because he will always live to intercede for us. So that's why we can say we are eternal, eternally secure, right? It's because Jesus is an eternal mediator who never dies. He will, he will always mediate for us with the Father. So in Jesus, we have a high priest. In Jesus, God sent his very own son. Moses was a wonderful servant, right, who served in God's house. We're thinking of God's house as those who are believers of God and follow him. Moses was a tremendous servant. He did everything that God asked him to do. He wasn't perfect by any means, but Jesus sent his very own son and God, Jesus as God's son is equal to God. And so Jesus is greater in any way to, to Moses. In Jesus, God not only sent his very own son, but in Jesus we have a heavenly calling. 
we have a heavenly, heavenly calling. We have calling upward, right? We're in this world, we're of this world, we're in this world, but, but we're not of this world. Moses, his calling was to an earthly people, the Israelites. And these Israelites played a very important role for us. Anybody know? They were a picture of our salvation. That would be, uh, they were a picture of our salvation that we could look at and understand the gospel. Let me try to make that clear. Look at verse number five. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to things that were to be spoken of later. We've talked about this before, but Moses and the people of Israel coming out of their bondage to Egypt is a picture for us of our salvation. Does that make sense? <laughs> so they were in bondage, right? They were in slavery. We are in slavery to sin before we come to know Christ. They had to have someone redeem them, someone to take them out of that bondage. Moses was the one who took them out of bondage at God's leading, of course, through the great miracles that he performed. And Jesus is the one who delivers us from our sin. Many of the people of uh, the Israelites, because of their unbelief, wandered in the desert for 40 years. Many people in our churches today profess Christ but truly do not know him, and they are wandering as if in a desert. Uh, Joshua eventually took the people into the promised land, and Jesus is greater than Moses and Joshua and will take us into the promised land. And so all of this was given to us as a picture. Moses spoke about the law. Jesus is full of grace and truth. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And so if you think of Colossians chapter three, it says that we have, if we've been raised with Christ, we are to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And we are to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so Jesus was greater in that while Moses had an earthly calling, Jesus calls us heavenward. And we can be with him in heaven, right? We can be with him in heaven. And people ask, well, how can I be with God in heaven and have that hope one day. Well, it's not based upon what we do, right? It's not based upon anything we can do. Nothing we can do, any good works or good deeds that we think we can do cannot make up for the sin that we have already committed. And so Jesus comes and he dies for our sins in such a way that when we believe in him and trust in him, we can have eternal life. We become united with him. And since he is a priest who intercedes for us eternally, we can never be separated from him. That's, that's the gospel. That's wonderful news for us today. And so set your mind on things above, not things that are on earth. So in Jesus, we have a heavenly calling, but also in Jesus, we have one who is faithful with a greater responsibility. Jesus was faithful to what God sent him here to do. He's a faithful, as the scriptures say, as a builder of the household of God. Moses was a servant. He was part of the house and he served well 
but he was just a servant. One to be admired, one to be revered, but not the same as the Son of God. Moses was faithful as a servant in the house. Jesus was faithful as a son who is the builder of the house. Jesus, when he came, he was faithful not to sin. Can you imagine going 33-some years without sinning at all, even under the strict rules of the Old Testament law? He kept all the commandments. He was faithful to the teaching of the Torah. He was faithful uh, to perform the miracles that God had him perform. He was faithful in training people who would follow after him, those disciples who ended up upsetting the world and turning the whole world upside down. He was faithful by dying on the cross. We read, you know, we read this morning, we talked about Jesus and uh, him giving up the spirit. And my thought then, Jake, I, did, I didn't say it because you, you said it in a different way so well, I didn't have to say it, but uh, death never was in control in that situation. Was It never was in control in that situation. Jesus lived long enough to finish all the work that God had given him to do, including dying for a cross. And death did not come in and then rob that from Jesus, but Jesus gave up his spirit willingly. He was sovereign over all of that. He was faithful to be raised from the dead. The only way he could be raised from the dead is if he had lived the perfect life, right? So death couldn't hold him in the grave. He was faithful by ascending to the Father and receiving his reward and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we know why he's sitting, right? He's sitting because the work is finished. No need for him to stand to do any more work. The work is finished. You can see Jesus is faithful in a way that Moses could not be faithful. Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus was faithful as the Son of God, who is in fact God himself. Jesus was totally faithful in keeping all of those whom he had trained, even though they departed for a while. Remember what Jesus told Peter? He told Peter, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. You will deny me three times. And he did, right? He denied him three times. Do you remember what Jesus prayed for him, even as he told him, you're going to, uh, even though you're going to deny me? He said, Satan has asked to sift you as he would sift wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. <laughs> That's why we have eternal, eternal security. Jesus is praying that our faith would not fail. And so Jesus can say, he said this, he said, this was to fulfill the word he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Jesus later on, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. You see, God is sovereign over all things and you might, I, I always question uh, people when, when the term free will comes up because you might say, well, do you believe in free will? I say, well, I, yeah, I believe in free will if you define it how the Bible defines free will. You have, to, you have to agree with what the Bible says about free will. 
And so people will say, uh, you know, salvation has to be by free will. And by that, some people will mean uh, that God has to just kind of stand back and have play no part in your salvation at all. Uh, that it has to be totally of your own free will. Well, I don't, I don't believe that's scriptural. I believe the Bible teaches that God does convict us of our sin. I believe that he causes us to be born again with a new heart so that we can accept the gospel. And so, uh, but many will say, no, it has to be by free will. And so I, I ask them, well, keeping your salvation, does that not have to be by free will then? And then they stumble a little bit. You see, because if, if you define free will the wrong way, then there's no way that we can be eternally secure because we have the ability to say, no, I no longer want to be saved. Right? If you're going to be consistent, be consistent both ways. The way to be consistent both ways is to be what some denominations teach is that salvation is a free will choice. There's no, there can be no, there can be no persuasion. There can be no uh, forcing of God for you to be saved. And I, I just don't think that's scriptural. I don't think God forces us, but he does persuade us. He does move in our heart. He opens our eyes. Those are scriptural words. Uh, he opens our hearts. He causes us to be born again. He draws us to himself irresistibly when we are saved. And we say yes to that. But I believe in being consistent too. <laughs> so if God is instrumental in us coming to Christ, he is instrumental also in keeping us saved. Amen. And we, we see that. We see that in scripture. We are kept by, the, by God in our salvation. What he has begun in us, he will not quit until he has brought it to completion. We persevere in the faith. If you define free will improperly, then it means people can still uh, sin in heaven, right? If you take away free will, if you define it incorrectly. Now, I would, I would say, yes, we do have free will. I'm getting way off topic. But we do have free will in heaven, but it's because our love for God has been perfected. Go to 1 John and read that. Our love for God will be perfected and we won't want to sin against him. There's a big difference. We don't want to sin against him and we freely choose not to sin in heaven, right? We freely choose not to reject Christ and lose our salvation. It's a, difference in mo it's a difference in motivation. I'm sure we'll have all kinds of questions about that, which I'll be glad to take. But let's move on to the last point. In Jesus, 
we have a Savior and Lord worthy of much more glory than Moses. Amen? Amen. Much more worthy as the builder of a house is more worthy than the house itself. Jesus has done everything that he can possibly do, which is everything for our salvation. You see, I, I believe that on the cross, he purchased everything that we need for our salvation. He paid the debt for our sin. He paid for our belief. Belief is a gift from God. It doesn't come from within ourselves, but is a gift from God. Everything comes from the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In other words, this week he is worthy of our full consideration. To consider about Jesus, let's think about him this week. Let's think about all that he has done for us. Consider him as much more worthy of honor and glory than any other person that we know. Consider his heavenly calling and set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And hold fast your faith and trust and trust in him. So let's look at verse 6 a little bit because it, it deals a little bit with perseverance of the saints. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You see, a lot of people who are Southern Baptists, they don't like that verse because it says, if we hold fast our confidence and our hope. <laughs> because some people want to believe that a person can make a profession of Christ and never come to church, their life never be changed, and it's been 30 years ago and they're still saved because... They made that profession back then. And so they feel very uncomfortable when this verse comes about and it says, we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. That statement is true. We are his house if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We must hold our confidence. We must stay in the faith. We must stick in the fight. There are going to be times where we uh, have difficulty living the Christian life. There are going to be times when we looks like we're backsliding, but God will bring us back to the faith that we need, just like he did Peter. So let's consider Jesus. The whole thing that he's trying to say here is to avoid someone falling away, consider Jesus. Don't go back to Moses, don't go back to the law, but consider Jesus. And so I, on your handout, I put in, skipped ahead and put in some verses from Hebrews chapter 12 that go along with very, go along with this very well. And this will be your assignment this week if you want to consider Jesus. Look at these three verses. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So are you weary and faint-hearted? 
If you are, look to Jesus. He has provided everything we need. He will meet every situation. He will sustain us in every situation. He will satisfy us in every situation. So many people in our world are dissatisfied and it's evident in how much they spend on unnecessary stuff. And sometimes I have bought that unnecessary stuff. But if we look at the scripture, we are to look to Jesus to find our satisfaction. And he will not disappoint. He will satisfy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for Jesus, that he is greater than Moses, that he's greater than angels, that he's greater than the prophets, that we should not neglect our salvation, but we should consider Jesus, that he should be on the tip of our tongue, the forefront of our minds at all time. And when he is, we will not grow weary or faint-hearted. We will not be tempted to give up and go the other direction, but we will love the fact that we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ and that he satisfies and meets our every need. Help us not only to know that in our minds today, but to experience it all this week as we consider Jesus, our friend, our brother, our sacrifice, our God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.